how am I now going to turn that customer, that visitor into a customer? And like in a physical shop, there will be, you know, a percentage of people will look in and go, no, this is not what I wanted and walk straight out. And that's fine. That's, you know, in our world, that will be called a bounce. Uh, and that might be because they go, oh, no, this is too expensive, or I oh, know this is too cheap, or that's not what I was looking for. Um, and what you want to be talking to is the people that look engaged, looking around the shop, and, you know, ask them uh, uh, and, and sort of push them forward to, to come to the, you know, again, uh, from the physical perspective, come to the till. I like to start the podcast as in a, a, give people a reason on why they're going on this adventure. So, you know, we've got to understand the guide okay. to the mountaintop. So how would you sort of encapsulate what you do and maybe what a point of difference in what you do is? Um, good question. Uh, well, you asked my mum, I work in IT, uh, <laughs> and which is definitely not what I do. Uh, so I am a, co- a co-founder and owner of a um, digital media agency uh, called D3. Um, we still... Uh, we still do all of the other media, so TV, radio, press, but but our main focus is on digital um, uh, digital media. So that for us means SEO, paid search, performance media uh, like uh, Facebook, TikTok, etc. As well as these days, you can now buy out of home digitally. So I could right now on my phone buy a billboard in the UK. Um, or anywhere else in the world. Um, you can also buy connected TV. So a lot of people don't realize that um, if you're watching TVNZ on demand or TVNZ Plus, as it's now known, uh, you get to see a different suite of ads than you do if you're watching it live on television, even if you're watching it live on TVNZ Plus. Uh, so the, and then you've got the ads on pause and things like that. So what we do uh, and what I do is we work with our clients to understand what they're trying to achieve. So the most important thing is uh, what's the objective of spending often millions of dollars in advertising? Uh, you know, is it about driving market share? Is it about selling more things? Is it about changing people's perception? Uh, and then what we do is that understand who are they trying to talk to? Uh, and that can be, you know, everybody. Uh, it can be a particular gender, it can be a different part of geography. Um, and then what we do is build out a, a strategy, first of all, around what, how to use media to achieve that objective within that audience. Uh, and then that then sort of filters down into then a channel plan. So what does that look like from a SEO, paid search, uh, social, programmatic, video. So overall, then we have an, a view of how we're going to uh, develop that always-on campaign, how we're going to use you know other campaigns like TV, etc., to drive awareness. Uh, and then wrapping it all up is, is the reporting. So hmm. what did we want to do? Uh, and then did we, did we do it? And, and if we didn't, why not? And if we did, how do we make it better? Hmm. What do you use for your reporting? Um, so we use a combination of uh, of reporting tools. The one that we're using at the moment is um, a combination of uh, funnel. So every single 
every every single channel has an API, which is a which is basically a pipe that goes from say Google Ads to a digital pipe of everything that happens on Google Google Ads, which we can then send up into the cloud. Uh, and we use a tool called Funnel that allows us to to blend all of that data together. So a lot of our clients will say, um, you know, how did our digital marketing work last month? And because Google and Facebook and Microsoft and all of these, Amazon, et cetera, they don't really like each other. So they all use different ways of reporting. Uh, so if, uh, just an example, like Google calls what you spent last month spend. Uh, Amazon calls it spent. Uh, Facebook calls it cost. Uh, so you have to sort of merge all of that information together so you get a full picture. Uh, so we, we take it all up into the cloud using this thing called Funnel. Uh, and then we visualize it using um, a tool from Salesforce called Datarama. So it gives us the opportunity then to be able to give our clients that clarity of of what's happening in real time. Yeah, I think that's, a, that's an important thing. It, I, I've for podcast listeners, I keep going all in on Alex Amosi. I don't know if you've heard him. Heard him. He's just this guy that's taken off and he's um, with ClickFunnels. He was one of the mm. um, made the most money out of anyone. Um, and he earns more than like 10 major CEOs all around. Like he's really good at making profitable businesses. Yeah. And he did across industries. And he was talking about the likelihood of achieving um, like value is the speed of which you achieve what you want and the likelihood of which you're going to achieve it. So it's interesting. The reporting is kind of like a re- reassurance piece around the objective. So it's like, hey, we're progressing. We're going there because, you know, like someone new like me, I, I you know, set it up and like, oh, hey, you got this many views. And they'll be like, well, what the hell does that mean? I'm confused. H- have you noticed like over as your businesses progress, you've made iterations to meet the needs of each individual's feelings? Yeah, well, I think what what's happened is so if you cast your mind back, I mean, only sort of five years you know marketers were spending real dollars to buy likes on facebook or thumbs up on linkedin and and everyone's now realized we must have been insane you know being able to use that as a metric of success so now a lot of from a media perspective and i and whether whether or not you know you might be a, a plumber uh, in Ponsonby or you know CEO of Spark that the utilization of media and advertising needs to have a business outcome you need to be able to say what am I actually trying to achieve and if you're not a very well-known business then that could be around awareness and if it's about if you're a, a plumber in Ponsonby uh, you want to tell people in Ponsonby that you know that you're a plumber available. Similarly, if you're the CEO of Spark, you're going to be looking for market share between Vodafone, Two Degrees, except One New Zealand. So we always start the process around uh, around what is my business objective, and then and only then do you start then looking at what we'd call the media metrics which are things like the clicks the views the impressions all of the stuff which is important to view to see whether or not things are working or not but in the end of the day you know the, that click or that view or that impression needs to turn into a a business objective because if you're getting thousands and thousands of clicks but no one's buying anything from you or the phone's not ringing then that is a waste of money, uh, and I always um, 
I always come back to the, the idea of a, a website, see it as a shop with a physical presence. And similarly, if, if you were advertising uh, your shop and no one comes into the shop, uh, then your advertising isn't working. So you've got to be thinking about like how am I driving people through to the shop, first of all? Uh, how do I get people to my shop? And then when they're in the shop, uh, this is the user experience and things like that. How am I getting people to, to convert or buy something? Uh, and similarly, a lot of that is, you know, if you think about it from a physical perspective, if you walk into a shop, there's often someone comes up and says, anything I can help you with, or everything's laid out nicely. And that's the same as a website. And it doesn't matter whether or not you're selling phones or you're selling a service or you're selling uh, an idea. You've still got to be thinking about that from a perspective of, okay, they've arrived on my website or they've arrived at my video. How am I now going to turn that customer, that visitor into a customer? And like in a physical shop, there will be, you know, a, a percentage of people will look in and go, no, this is not what I wanted and walk straight out. And that's fine. That's, you know, in our world, that will be called a bounce. Uh, and that might be because they go, oh, no, this is too expensive or oh, no, this is too cheap or that's not what I was looking for. Um, and what you want to be talking to is the people that look engaged, looking around the shop and, you know, ask them uh, uh, and, and sort of push them forward to, to come to the, you know, again, uh, from the physical perspective, come to the till. Uh, and that's really, and if you use that analogy and look at your website as if it was a shop, um, at, with a, as a physical presence, you can, you ask yourself, well, you know, is it easy to to see things? Is it easy to to take things to the till? Is it and all that kind of stuff? <coughs> Bless you. Thank you. Keep going. You're rolling. Uh, well, no, I think that's, that's sort of. Yeah. I think that's sort of the the the. Um, uh, so yeah, I would say always, like if you want to be a like conversion king, own the funnel, all of that kind of stuff. It all starts with the basics, like and all. If you look at any of the the you know, the, the uh, sales gurus online, it, it, everything starts with the basics that comes really to understand the person at the end of the mouse, like we say, is the, who are you, who are you actually talking to? How are you going to get them to engage with what you're selling and then move them on the, into the funnel? <laughs> that is a great analogy. On the discovering an avatar, like, Maybe you have clients you come across and they have an idea of who the avatar is. And one of the things Alex Samosi did with his business was he had a thousand gyms using his agency service and he found the ones that paid the most and they were the best clients and then asked them questions and then found similarities. And they appeared to be more conservative leaning for one thing. They they um they're very coachable and he had this like layer of list and then he tailored all his marketing to that from the website which meant you know you had a less conversions up front but you had more value per client and he made like 13 to 1 advertising just because yep. he charged more on the front end so how do you go through the process of discovering who you should sell to so we, we would call that um so in in the marketing world is a is a, is a persona so you you and i think that the and there's some really good examples of how you develop a persona. So, you know, I used to work with, say, Warehouse Stationery, and they would have three key personas that they were 
would always talk to and I can't remember the name but it was I think it was like sort of Jane Dave and Sarah and they 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 basically had a full almost like a CV or bio to each of these people so Dave for example was a small business owner based in Auckland had you know they basically worked through what he drove what his wife was called how many kids he had and that was the I guess the uh, the picture of that of a really big customer segment, and say so Jane was a uh, was like a a mum of three, I think, living in rural New Zealand, and and what that does is gives you a lens around to to be able to look at the way your everything from the your your mailers, your website, your emails. So basically, to, who are we talking to, uh, and uh, and you know does it and puts that lens of say right. This is a. We need to do a newsletter that's through the lens of Dave or through the lens of Sarah or etc. And I think and and that was that's a very typical thing that um, big marketing businesses will do. It doesn't take a lot of time, um, but if you're if you're smaller, you go really. You know, this is my product. Who who is who is most likely to buy that? And it really depends on whether or not you're starting out or you're. A, uh, or you have a business already. If you have a business already, the best thing to do is look at your current customers, uh, and that's a case of. And you can, if you have a, a customer database of say a thousand people, um, you can start to look at. You know, depending on what data you have, you could look at geography. You can look at gender. You can look at. Um, if, you know, if you've got their addresses, you can start to look at. You know, potentially value of houses and things like that. So you can start to build up a picture of who is buying your product. Uh, and then I think it's a, um, uh, and then you can always uh, ameliorate that information by sending emails and surveys and trying to understand a little bit more about, you know, where they potentially, where they eat, what they watch, etc. Because what that then gives you is an opportunity to tailor your messaging more precisely to the different uh, audience segments that, that you have. Um, and that, allows you then to to also kind of go who and I think this is the biggest secret uh, from a from a media and advertising perspective is actually who we don't want to talk to so what we actually start with is is who don't we want to talk to and uh, and, and that's not necessarily being sort of uh, 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 what's the word um, discriminatory but if, if we like, we we have a retirement village client, and there's going to be everyone basically under the age of twenty five, without a mum and dad that might be thinking about going to retirement village, they are not going to see that advertising. They might see it, uh, but it will be completely and utterly irrelevant to their lives. So you kind of go. There is a whole bunch of people out there who who is not going to be interested in the product that we have. So that's the first thing to do is just work out. Who is this not for? Um, and that can be like a whole gender or a whole geography. So if you're an Auckland-based business, you go, I don't want to talk to anybody in Wellington, Christchurch, any, actually anybody below the Bombays, I've got no interest in talking to. So, And then you can then start to go, well, actually, who do I want to talk to? Is it, are they going to be older, younger? Are they going to be, um, you know, what type of house do they live in? So that does give you the opportunity then to tailor that messaging.
Does that sort of make sense? Yeah, yeah, you could. I, I think I think this podcast is going to turn into like an ultimate guide because <laughs> in my head I'm just thinking, okay, well, what's the next step? Um, so, okay, so let's say you, the what is the sequence that you would go through? So you got the avatar, you got the objective. Well, what's the next step? Like, should, could we? Well, my, my the first step, well, the next step around that, and it's almost before this, is there's two types of ways of advertising, again, very, very broadly, is what we kind of call push marketing and pull marketing. So pull really is search, because if you sell, um, I don't know, say cameras, every day in New Zealand, there is a say let's just make up numbers but a hundred thousand people every day in New Zealand wakes up and goes I need to buy a new camera and the likelihood is is the first place they're going to go is Google and say I need a want to buy a camera and then they start their research into okay it's a digital blah 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 and if you sell cameras uh, whether it's online or physically then you want to be there when someone is searching for buy new digital camera um, so that's the most important thing is really looking at the what is the search volume, how many people are searching for your product or service to allow you, you know, so, so because before you even start thinking about push advertising, which is which is in our view is is it's that interruptive ad, you know, it's the Facebook ads, you're just, you know, you're going through Instagram looking at what your friends are eating uh, and then, you know, there's lots of ads turn up. That's interrupting you out of your day-to-day life, similar as, you know, a, a video on YouTube. Um, you know, that's a, a interruptive ad or a display ad on New Zealand Herald. That's interrupting you from reading the news. So our view is always search first, and that really starts with organic search. So uh, because that doesn't cost you, uh, you know, a, a cost per click. It's a, it's a, it's a natural thing. So first of all, you go, well, how many people are searching for cameras each day or each month in New Zealand? You try and look to optimize your website for those particular products and services. Uh, then you go, right, now I need to go to paid search because you've got the um, the image listings or the product listings at the top. and um, So that's the, that's the first thing that you do. And then once you start getting into the interruptive media, that's when you start looking at, here's my persona, here's the people I want to talk to. And then the next question really is how much money you want to spend on talk promoting your products and service to, uh, to those people. Um, and you can work that out really by, a, you know, if I'm willing to spend $1,000, but I want to get a return of two to one, or I want to get a return of 10 to one, or whatever it might be. Uh, so you can start then to, to figure out how much you want to spend, but also what return you want to get back from your advertising. Um, and, and then from, again, depending if you're working, if you're doing it yourself, uh, you start with paid search, you'd probably go on to advertising on Meta because it's super easy. Um, if you're working with an agency, then what we would do is look to see of your audiences, where are they more likely to turn up? So if depending on the product you're selling uh, or the service you're offering and the people you want to talk to, that could be television, could be press, could be magazines, could be out of home. So it starts to think about, again, what, what are you trying to achieve? Who are the people you're talking to? 
and then we can start looking at what are the channels you want to you you should be using to communicate your message to those people does that sort of make sense yeah yeah i think um it's interesting talking to a few agencies now that a lot of them seem to end up doing a lot out of necessity and and an inability to find partnerships that fulfill a certain need and trusting in that ability to fulfill because i caught a lot of agencies and they i was rather disappointed with some of them <laughs> maybe more than some uh so what, what like how from a delivery standpoint because there's so many things like if you were a creative strategist you mm-hmm. came in here's your business you're like you got to do this this that these are the people you talk to that's quite easy to deliver to to go hey we can do tiktok we can do facebook we can do press we can do tv we can do how how do you manage the execution of it with the, them needing a certain outcome and not having the right partnerships so do you mean in terms of um who, who would, uh, so if you're the client, who would you be working with as in partnership with to create the assets, put those assets into market? Is that what you mean? Oh, I just mean it sounds like you're doing so much. How do you do it? Is basically. Ah, uh, fair enough. Uh, so, so simplicity is really important. Um, if you, and, and like with most things, it, there is an element of scale. If you're a, a global business or you're a national business, then you need more channels, you need more um, exposure. If you've got, as I said, like if you're a smaller business uh, and your say your your catchment area for your customers is only in Auckland, then like search would probably be more than enough because you. And it also depends. Like I've I've talked to people as well who are like oh, I think I need to do more advertising. But then when you dig into it, you kind of go, they're not even servicing the leads they're getting at the moment. Um, you go, well, why don't you just sort of phone more customers or potential customers rather than worrying about, you know, spending money on advertising? Because the main question is, really, and that's the thing is, if you were to get more leads or you were to get more sales, can you fulfill this? Can you still keep up your quality of service, your quality of product? So it's always about that sort of um, uh, ensuring that you're growing at an organic space that you you can still you know live to the values that you built the business from, um, and and once you're at a scale, so if you're a business like Spark or or Harvey Norman or Noel Eamings or the Warehouse, then you do need to be omnipresent in many in many in many ways because. A lot of the things that they sell is a is a is a want rather than a need. Um, like most people, you know, you don't wake up in the morning and go, oh, "I really need a eighty-five inch eight uh, <laughs> K TV." Uh, but if Noel Eaming or Harvey Norman or Samsung, if they advertise enough to you that you go, "Oh my." my 60 inch is just uh, not 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 doing it for me anymore and it sort of builds that desire and that's what advertising is is it builds a desire in you that you you have to go out and purchase the latest this latest that and um and that's why you and, and a lot a lot of what we talk about is is a reach and frequency so you need to reach a lot of people but you also need to tell them enough times for it to sort of Im- embed in in our brains which is why you'll often see, um, lot, especially on, on TV, you know, the same ad 
over and over again. And it's not done to annoy you, I promise. It's done to build that frequency to sort of embed in your mind. Because a, a lot of products and services, again, it's it's not a it, it's not a necessity. And sometimes it's a there's a lot of apathy that's involved. So we we if for example, like I don't know, like car insurance or health insurance or things like that, it's it's important. But again, it's you don't wake up in the morning and go, oh my gosh, I'm really excited. I've got to sort out my car insurance today. But if you see an ad from from Tower or a health ad from NIB at the right time, then you know it might push you over the edge uh, uh, to to sign up. So that whole strategy around right, how many times do I need to talk to people? And you see it online a lot, especially startups. Um, you, you'll see the same ad over and over and over again, and it's it's all calculated. So let's get a frequency of say ten ads per week or per day or whatever, and it it's really sort of breaking down those barriers. And often you'll see, you know, you'll see different prices or you'll see um, different features, benefits, different types of calls to action, and that's all designed to to drive your desire to to go oh do you know what i'm gonna buy it uh, and um and that's why a lot of businesses do need to be doing lots of things uh and and as then the other part of that is if you are a business which is talking to big segments of the country so everybody you know if you're the warehouse for example you will need to be talking to everybody who's say 16 to 65 or 16 to 65 or 75 um and therefore you know, no more can the warehouse just do TV or just do an ad in the Herald. They have to be thinking about, well, if I want to talk to the young people, I need to be doing TikTok or Snapchat. If I want to be talking to the uh, millennials or the late Gen Z, then we need to be on Instagram. We need to be, if I need to be talking to, you know, the middle age, then I'm Facebook and I'm on Spotify and I'm on podcasts and I'm, um, and if I'm talking to the older generation, then it's TV, it's radio, it's um, uh, uh, it's um, out of home. It's it's um, uh, newspapers. So it it's and it all sort of all comes down to again that whole idea of what am I trying to do? Who am I talking to? And the, and where are those people? Um, so that's why a lot of businesses do need to be doing lots of everything. But but if you're a a relatively small business or a medium sized business, then you don't need to be doing everything. You need to be doing, you know, one thing brilliantly. Hmm. The when when I did my <laughs> research, um, I kept, the trend I saw was a whole lot of SEO companies that lock you into a twelve-month contract and charge you thousands, and maybe something good happens. <laughs> what? What? Like, why are they all doing SEO? And is it scalable? Is it easy? Is it like for me? I'm just like, well, whatever gets the result, like. So SEO is, I, 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 my background uh, is, is SEO. I actually, I started my career um, before Google actually even existed. So back in London, uh, I actually do remember the day that Google first, someone actually said, there's this new search engine, come and have a look. Uh, we were all using uh, Alta Vista and Yahoo and um, Google really did change the game. But I think good, like search or SEO in particular, um, 
is, is still the purest form of, of marketing that any business should do. It is always and should be the first thing that any business does. But it is, it is time-consuming uh, if you do it yourself. There is a real element of technical skill, uh, and it does also include you know, a, a focus on time. And like a lot of these things, if you are doing you know, content-led marketing, which sort of SEO sits into, then, then the biggest cost you'll ever have to do is time. Um, now, you can pay an, an SEO agency to do it for you, and there certainly there are uh, good SEO agencies, and there certainly are cowboys out there. Um, my advice is, is really look for the results of what they've done for other people. Um, anyone that promises you to be on page one of Google is lying. There is no, the only person that can put you on page one of Google is uh, Eric Schmidt or Larry Page, uh, who the uh, you know CEO and one of the owners of, of Google. Um, there is no, there is there is no uh, a guidebook to how to be. You know, Google have never said what their algorithm is. Lots of people guess what it is. Uh, and do very good educated guesses, but again, like with SEO, it's 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 an it really is a mixture of art and science. There's there's sort of three components to it. The most important is the technical side of things, and all that means is you're, you know, that you allow Google to come onto your website and index what you've got there. And the one of the things which always blows my mind and is that Google doesn't actually search the live internet or the live web it, in, it it indexes the internet so google has an index of the entire internet and when you do a search google is looking at for it, uh, looking at its index of the web of the website of all of the websites not the live web and the second thing to always remember is google indexes web pages not websites so it, it, every page, as far as Google's concerned, is an individual page that is connected by uh, navigation, etc. But if you've got a um, every in, in each individual page has to be indexed by Google for you to see it. So the the reality of of if you're again if you're thinking about doing SEO, the first thing you should do is open up an incognito window in Chrome so it doesn't have any of your um, uh, any of your history and then actually just Google first of all Google your brand uh, and then secondly Google your main products and services if you are already in position one or two and this isn't the paid ads the the this is below the paid ads the often sometimes the maps or images and then and then it's the it's the main listings if you are in position one two three don't really need to do any more SEO, you're kind of winning. If you're nowhere, uh, then the first thing to look at is who is your competition. So if you if you were, I don't know, say starting up as a as a phone company in New Zealand, you you know that you couldn't possibly get into probably position five or six because Spark's gonna be one probably one New Zealand, Vodafone be number two, two degrees any other so you, you you physically know that you're not going to be able to to probably get in the top five um but if your competition is pretty weak or you think you can go then you give yourself an objective of saying right i'm gonna find out 
you know how to how if you know for cameras for example um you know photo warehouse for example might be in position one you look and say okay well the likelihood is let's say digital cameras in new zealand i could probably you know within a few months probably get to position two or three so um like it's not difficult to to rank well for google for certain keywords because no one searches for them so the other thing to look for is of your products and services how many people are actually searching for them on a monthly basis uh, and you want to be looking for those high value keywords so um and, and that's where you talk to your agency and go, well, these are the keywords that I think that I need to be ranking for. What are the likelihood that we can get into position one to five? Um, because the, the reality, again, with Google is that if you're, if you're lower than position five, then you, you know one's going to be clicking on you. Um, there's a saying that, you know, there's nowhere better to hide a dead body than page two of Google. Uh, and that's the reality is, which is why people pay. You know, Google changed their, uh, the structure of their search engine results page to be four ads, four ads, uh, four ads and then what they call the knowledge graph. So that can be like the, a map or a video or images or often now they have like people also asked, which is kind of like Q, Q, um, a Q&A. Uh, and then you've got the organic listings. But the, if you're in position one, two, three of, uh, of Google use, that will still provide the vast amount of traffic to your website. Hmm. Uh, and the, the, uh, the other really important thing is that through all of my career, organic search, it's the normally for most websites, it's, it's, the, most, um, it's the most important source of traffic, but also it converts better, bounce rates are lower, uh, and the average order values, if you're an e-commerce brand, will also always be higher from organic search than anything else, because hmm. it's a degree of trust. So um, I always say, like, invest in SEO, but again, you need an objective. Like, what you know, is it? I need to double the amount of traffic coming through SEO, or I need to be, um, I need to see my sales increase by uh, threefold through SEO in a year. Never just do SEO through rankings because if, for example, a, a, a cowboy agency says, oh, yeah, I can get you into position number one for your brand and and you know, a random keyword, like they can do that. It's not going to be hard, but you won't get any traffic from it. So they can say, turn around and go, well, the contract says I'm going to get you in position one for your brand and this keyword doesn't say anything about sales or traffic. Um, so I would always go back to like, what are we actually trying to achieve with SEO? Hmm. Makes sense. Like, if you're talking about it being the shop and people want to come, and if they keep coming and everyone knows about you on the street, and you know you're ranked number one. A, a bit of a side tangent, but same thing. So I'm Richard Conway from Pure SEO is coming on. I don't know your relationship. If you know each no, other. no, I rich. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, what would your question be to him related to SEO? So I can stump him and I'll sound. Oh, good, slick. quite good. Um, oh, uh, or anything you just want to ask him in general. If you're up to no, you. well, I think that it's generally, I think the biggest, um, you know, it wouldn't be a digital marketing podcast if we didn't talk about AI. Um, I think that the the big challenge for all businesses right now is how AI will impact 
uh, search. And I think for like Richards, you know, they've they've got a really good business, deals with a lot of SEMs, and they're definitely not in that cowboy uh, uh, um, bracket. Uh, uh, but I think that, and, and you know, Rich has got a, a good view of the future. And I think that, so, as, as I'm sure everyone knows, that, um, you know, ChatGPT has been uh, an unbelievable success for the open AI um, business. They, I think it's the fastest growing uh, digital product in the history of mankind. They went from like zero to, I think it was 100 million users in like a matter of months <laughs> uh, and it is quite insane but yeah. the but and Google have released and now it's available in New Zealand now is Google Bard which is their version um, now Google Bard is slightly more interesting to, to me from a uh, from a from a marketing perspective because it also it searches the uh, the live web as well as um, of having all of the information that exists so the reality is, is and what this means for um, for us as marketers is Google right now so if I google restaurants near me and where we're, we're uh, in the CBD in Auckland it will give me a list probably by distance around you know what restaurants are close to here in the future if i go to to say google bard and say i'm in central auckland uh, i'm looking for somewhere to go to lunch and i'm with my wife it will use all of the information it knows about me uh, and my wife or the location so if i like you know, it will know that if I've been to pizza restaurants and all that kind of stuff. And rather than giving me a list of places where um, we could go, it will say, hi, Alex, uh, I suggest you go to uh, Depot or this restaurant's brand new, try this one. So, and, and the same for if you're searching for a digital camera, say, you know, rather than spending hours looking at Google, looking at different models, etc. You can just say, um, I'm going on holiday, I want uh, a digital camera, I want to spend $2,000, what should I buy? And Google Bard, because it understands, so it's, it, these AIs are all built on these uh, large language models, and it all also things uses this thing called semantic search, so it understands the intent behind your search. So it will just basically say, based on my knowledge and based on what I know about you, I suggest you buy Canon X blah 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 blah. You can buy it from and there's and it will pull sources, etc. So it means that for for us, where uh, you know, search has always been about giving people a choice about where they're going mm. in the future. And it's then like if you've got like a Google um, Google Home or a, or a, an Apple Home, those things, you know, using voice search, it will only give you one, maybe two or three uh, suggestions rather than a list of places to go. So that's the thing I would ask. Um, Richard is, uh, you know, at what point do we start really thinking about SEO from an AI perspective <laughs> as a as a small business or, a, you know, that he his, his like pure SEO focus a lot on those SME businesses. Um, so, I mean, it exists now and it is, we can already see like ChatGPT has evolved hugely over three months. Google Bard will... I've been playing around with it for the last few days. It is, it, you can see it being a massive game changer 
hmm. of of the way that people will interact with search engines. Damn, behind the eight ball, I um, I got all my information from TikTok, and because it's always trending, I was always ahead. But now I've removed all apps just so I can focus more on life. But um, <laughs> I didn't know about Google Bart. Okay, because because like I, at the mo- like since ChatGPT came out, I've been using it every day for everything. It's an, yeah, it's insane. It's an unbelievable tool. We as a business, we use uh, pretty much every single person within our business D three. Uh, we are using it daily, whether it's for writing client emails, writing presentations, we're building like search ad copy, we're doing, uh, we get it to do just crawl SEO, uh, websites for SEO purposes. It's, um, it, it reduces, or I guess it reduces the time that people are spent on boring automated tasks, leaving them to actually think about you know what are we actually trying to achieve for our clients so i I think it's wonderful i think the whole idea of it's going to take over the world and no one's going to have jobs anymore is slightly insane but um i think that there's going to be a people who in the future it's going to be the people that embrace it and understand its capabilities and how it can fit in with people's lives and then there's people that thinks it's the devil and uh and and, and ignore it and try and defeat it which is not going to be possible no, I, yeah, I find humans are naturally resistance to change, and that's also the great thing about underpriced attention is you know people often the places people are fearful to tread are the greatest opportunities. Yeah. So, from a philosophical standpoint around AI, what is, what is like I I don't fear the job component. I fear another being being smarter than us, and what are the implications of that? Because that's not far. Like, ChatGPT is... ChatGPT 4 <laughs> ain't far, man. Like, to think for itself and they create some limitations. But then at what point is it like... You know, did you hear the story of how um, it was given a task to see, achieve a certain outcome? Maybe it was to sell a certain sum of things. And then it paid someone on Fiverr to pretend uh, to do the robot tick for them. Oh, really? Yeah, it's... <laughs> I always, I do, I, there's a lot of fake news around. Yeah, it could be bullshit. It could be. I, I, I think I've seen a lot of stuff which has been mock, mocked up and photoshopped to make it look like ChatGPT. The, the, I think the, um, I think it's an inevitability. I think that, the, the, I think we've, since the, since the, well, the dawn of time, whatever, but I think there's part of us have always wanted to build something which is smarter than us. And I think in certain elements, is like ChatGPT is smarter than most people because it, it 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 might not be it's not it has no emotion it has no soul it has no uh, you know understanding of the real world but in terms of like pure you know calculation it's I mean it has literally the entire world's information at its fingertips and it can it can I I, I I recently got um, uh, diagnosed as going to be sort of, well, unfortunately, going to be sort of type two diabetes. So I put into ChatGPT and said, "Give me a, a diet plan for for someone who with impending type two diabetes." And it basically gave me a week's plan. And then I said, "Oh, I don't really like um, cauliflower. Can you can you do it again, but with no cauliflower?" And and is I've now got you know a, a two weeks worth of uh, well a, a shopping list which I could then 
co copy and paste into Countdown's app. Job done. I've got a list of things that I'm going to eat, and uh, it's kind of like that would have cost me probably time, money, and energy to go and speak to a dietitian or buy books. And I'm not. I'm not that patient. Uh, and it just enables you know so that it's just unbelievable I've seen people use ChatGPT as uh, you know uh, psychotherapy I've seen people use it you know obviously the simple stuff of like calculations and we we use it a lot for testing so we when we're building scripts and we're building algorithms normally you'd have to you know go through a big long testing process of making sure that things work chat gpt can do it in 30 seconds which would normally take two weeks um <laughs> yeah. it writes code for you so we had a, a client of ours who decided to move over to microsoft dynamics which is a crm tool um and they couldn't figure out how to uh, pass information through from facebook into dynamics so I asked ChatGPT and it wrote me the code, uploaded it into uh, into Dynamics, and now we've got Facebook talking to Dynamics. <laughs> like the, and and again, I found some dude in in California that could have written me the code, and he wanted six hundred dollars an hour. ChatGPT free in thirty seconds. <laughs> so uh, I think it, it, it it's really sort of what is the definition of smart, and I think it, it's incredibly smart. I think that once we start, you know, they're already starting talking about like putting it into robots so that you can actually communicate. And that sort of scares me a little bit. But um, I think we're, we're, we've sort of crossed the, the Rubicon, so to speak. We're not going back uh, into, um, and I think over the course of the next few years, we'll see AI into it. I mean, I think for most things, it's going to be fantastic. I was I was looking at, for example, um, I think it's Disney who are looking at ways of being able to put AI into their Disney Plus service, so that understanding what you learn, you know, it learns what you're um, what you're watching. You can start sort of telling it what you like. It will, you know, see where you pause and things like that, and will then surface more shows that are more interesting with you. Same with Spotify and. Um, so and and I think this whole semantic search, being able to converse with a robot that feels human uh, and get the information that you require, will be um, will be great. I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, when Terminator happens, I'll let you go. Yeah. And, I, until Skynet happens, <laughs> and then and then we're all screwed. Well, as long as you can turn the server off and the the legislation yeah. bodies keep up with it. Like, even just talking about that diet thing, like, you know, it can plug in with Instacart eventually. It's, it said it should soon. But, and you use a Whisper API, so you, it can convert your voice into a language that can be yeah. interpreted. And as long as the language is long enough and they're extending how long of an input you can put in. So you imagine you just sit in the kitchen, you're like, yo, this is what I'm trying to achieve this week. I'm going to have dinner with this person, bum, bum, bum. This is my calendar. Um, can you order these things through Instacart, make sure they're on my doorstep Wednesday mm. morning? And it's done. And then you've got a smart fridge in a smart kitchen that will cook it for you. Yeah, that's what you need. <laughs> that's what I want. Yeah. <laughs> you just go straight from my food bag, just uh, order it, cooks it, job done, thanks very much. Yeah, I, th I look, I think the... the um, 
I think you make a you make a really good point there, which is the legislation that sits behind it. And I think one of the things that we've learned like to our detriment, I guess, is that we, you know, governments and legislation were just never ready for the Amazons and the Googles and the Facebooks of the world, where they, you know, our, our entire global structure is around nations that police the, the, the laws of each country. And it's really that Google, Facebook, Amazon has been the first time where these global businesses have been way ahead of the curve of, of our of our antiquated legislation systems. So, you know, Google's not regulated here. It's regulated from Ireland, I think it is. Um, and they they are self-regulating better. They're doing better at, you know, taxes and, and, and things like that. But they these are super huge organizations. I mean, I think, I, I think it's gonna be next week that Apple will turn into the first three trillion dollar company after being the first trillion and two trillion but i think it took them is it 30 years or 40 years to get to the first trillion dollar company but then it took them six weeks to go from the first trillion to two trillion my numbers might be off but it's and now the three trillion is is only weeks away so it's it, i mean that is insane i mean they have more money than most countries um, so I think that the the legislation and the regulation needs to to um, to really uh, to 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 get its house in order. Well, it's scary because a lot of legislation is after the fact, and once the genie's out of the bottle, I think as well. Like speaking of powerful companies that only people are starting to talk about now, you got BlackRock and Vanguard. So essentially, they they're just passive investors. But all of people's money's pulling into it, and you know it's over ten trillion dollars, like it's trillions of dollars, and they're all the major shareholders in all the major companies. Mm. Um, and for use, we won't get a conspiracy on you, um, but <laughs> like, say Joe Biden, for example, he put appointed a key leadership person from BlackRock into the Treasury. And then the first person that's been appointed into the rebuild of Ukraine, is BlackRock. Um, so I worry when you do have this distillation of power, you know, like if it's just localized in one area and we have an inability to to regulate or they have an ability to influence the regulation, but then you've got the AI that we're, it, it exponentially learns and we're reacting after things have happened. So it's, uh, it's scary. <laughs> Yeah, I think. Look, I, I think the. Um, yeah, I mean, you from from the digital media world, you you look at you know obviously what what happened in Christchurch has been a big driver of now organisations like TikTok who are are, are I, I think pretty good at, at self regulation of of um, of their video content. I think they're a long way from being perfect. But you know the the engineering challenge of you know of monitoring activity, which to, to, is fundamentally live, um, is incredibly difficult. Um, and there is a juxtaposition between you know what's right for humanity versus what's right for for profit. Um, and I don't think we've kind of worked that out yet. Um, and I think it's the the job of whether you're, you know, advertisers or parents or or just you know humans that 
there needs to be a, an element of sensibility to that stuff that we are thinking around you know is this damaging to people's health i think there was a report today that showed that um from the world health organization that it is quite extraordinary the um the damage that uh social media does on young people's minds um i think there was the the rates of suicide in young teenage girls for example since the launch of social media apps has gone like i think it's like a thousand fold increase so so we do need to be thinking about these things but i think that the the self-regulation of ourselves are is also really important you know you say you know you've taken all the apps off your off your uh, off your phone i've done the same thing many a time when you start to think this is not this is not okay but there's a lot of people that aren't that self-aware who are just sort of doom scrolling through all of this stuff thinking that you know instagram lives are real or tiktok is is a is a safe place to be and i, I think they're um and also these these organizations whether it's blackwater or google or facebook they 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 have a, an incredible amount of power they you know i think google's legal bills for um for lobbyists in washington is is you know probably the size of some people's gdp um because they know that if they they if they if they have politicians that they can not necessarily control but have an influence on then you know they're not going to be regulated in the same way or or whatever so um I think we we do need to be careful. I think you know a global body that regulates how these apps work or technology apps. Because again, Amazon, you know, we're lucky enough here, I think, in New Zealand where we don't have Amazon, but you know they can come through and destroy cities uh, because that you know that it is an unbelievable service, but it's done at the detriment of um, of small business of humans and we just make jeff a bit richer <laughs> i don't think jeff needs to be any more richer. <laughs> <laughs> well there, there was a an interesting thing within that as well around um the consumption of said media and the impact on people and i i find it it's very hard to tell someone they're wrong and then admit it it's never a good idea to do that um because often their identity is linked to the actual viewpoint and now you're having these visual, tailored, interest-based consumption that is taking you down a rabbit hole of a belief system that only further entrenches. Mm. And then also it's instant gratification. So you're not creating the emotional fortitude to navigate uncomfortable conversations. You're even dating, you're swiping. You don't even have to go up to the girl and bar and say, oh, hi, and getting rejected 10 times and one of them likes you. So you just go and fucking swipe. So what do you think is the implication? Is it a positive thing is it a is it humans are just um, perpetuating what they feel anyway so it is what it is or what, what, what do you feel about the consumption of media and the impact on society god oh, deep um <laughs> Sorry, Robert. that's all right the do you know what's quite interesting is the yeah. um So my old professor at, school, at uni always used to say when we talk about globalization and technology is that human behavior stays the same, technology changes. And when you say technology, it's, you know, you go back from, we've gone from um, oral history, you know, sit around the campfire through to written history. Now we're in, you know, the today of live 
you know his live stories through TikTok or whatever. And but the reality is, is that all it is is storytelling. It's about being entertained. It's about constant, you know, uh, keeping your, you know, your mind uh, full. And I think that, uh, uh, but I think that, the, and also that behavior is about, you know, people need other people, you know, to feed their uh, their interest and, and like-minded people. You know, and it's not um, whether or not you have the same belief system or the same cultural background. There's no it's no surprise that you build these little sort of thiefdoms within social media where people's interests and values and beliefs all uh, all meld together and it's no no different i mean i'm uh i'm english or well, welsh technically um but i'm british so uh and a lot of my friends in new zealand i've been here 15 years and i i still gravitate towards British people, sadly, because because um, <laughs> uh, because we have shared background, we have shared uh, interests, and and similarly, you know, it's when Kiwis arrive in London, they all go to Earl's Court and um, hang out with each other, uh, and and it's, and and it's the same whether you're a Indian community or, or Chinese community, and that's the same as if your interests are Fortnite or your interests are you know FIFA or in in you know, in more darkest places of the internet, if your if your interests are um, far right or conspiracy theories or whatever, you and that's what TikTok does very well is it it brings you into the content that you actually want. Um, so I think that um, the the reality is that we we need to get better at you know, real life uh, inter in, uh, interaction. Um, one of the, the the things that we see as a business is you know, we are a communication business. We develop relationships with people, but a lot of the people that work for us that are certainly younger than I am are, are, are very reticent sometimes to pick up the phone, to go to a meeting in person, or you know, it's safer sometimes to be on email or on chat, uh, and that doesn't develop relationships. Similarly, you know, you can't. It's harder to build a relationship with someone over a screen than it is in in real life. Um, so I think that I think that as long as technology or or apps or, or or media ultimately is bringing people closer together is a good thing. But I think we have to be conscious of the fact that there needs still to be, you know, the the idea that, that friendships and relationships are better when they are in smaller uh, groups, which is why I think there's been a lot of pressure around, especially um, younger people who are, you know, they they, they are, you know, uh, needing likes, they're needing people to see their, their, um, uh, their, their um, content when, you know, just one or two people who are close to you should be a lot more important than what a thousand people that you've never met think about you. Um, so I think it's been interesting. I, and actually, I was um, not sad, but I thought that it was. I liked actually what the metaverse, for example, that what Zuckerberg was trying to do with that, which was to bring the physical into the digital. Um, and I, I liked the idea of being able to, you know, not necessarily put on a headset, but if I've got, I, I, there was one of the concepts that he tried to do was was 
you know, if I, I've got a lot of friends in London, for example. I don't see them very often. I occasionally FaceTime them. It's not a particularly great experience. Um, but if we could, you know, meet in a virtual pub um, in London uh, that I could put a headset on, they all put a headset on, and it feels like we're there. That's, um, and whether, you know, meetings where it actually feels like you're physically meeting. I didn't like the whole avatar thing. I think that looked a bit silly. But um, I, I like the idea of the physical and the digital coming together. I was my my uh, I actually started my career in the world of events back in London, and events are a bit like conferences and trade shows, and they're things that still do unbelievably well. There's an, in in theory like trade shows and and conferences shouldn't we shouldn't need them. We have Zoom, we have webinars, we have all of this stuff, but people still love wandering around a trade show, meeting people, having conversations, going to the bar, having a drink, and they're a really great opportunity to to interact and build relationships, which you cannot do digitally. So I ho- hopefully it will still continue to, 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 to desire that sort of human interaction. I think from what I've seen from the history of advertising and the technology advancements, it's all it's all just an attempt to replicate the human experience. Mm. You know, you start from audio, then video, and then, you know, more virtual and engagement, and then you might you could do sensory suit. It's interesting that your hands matter, but your arms don't. Like, when you talk about the bit of use, when you see your hands, it's okay. Do you think yeah. you have hands, but you don't need the arms? Who needs arms? Yeah. Well, human, Pointless yeah. things. <laughs> Pointless. Yeah, well, I I never think about just them. stick them on your shoulder, you'll be fine. Oh God, the, yeah. So on, on that deep note, we've done an hour. So yeah, you, you're very knowledgeable in what you do. So who who should find you, and and what problem might you solve for them? And I'll put a link in the description. Thanks. Well, um, so so. What we what we specialise really in New Zealand owned and operated businesses who are, are looking to communicate with a, with an audience. Um, it's through through obviously through media ideally, but whether it's SEO, um, we have a, a couple of really smart SEO people. We do paid search. We do, um, but we we sort of operate probably in that sort of medium size business. Um, so the clients we work with at the moment are the likes of, sort of MetLife Care, um, NIB Insurance, uh, Milford Asset Management. Oh yeah, Milford. Yeah. We do some uh, activity with um, uh, with um, Ecoya Candles, uh, Up Education. So they've got sort of educate um, NZMA, um, NZ School of Tourism, and things like that. So. We um, and finally uh, we also work with Co-op Bank down in Wellington, so those are sort of the businesses that we do really well with. But we're really sort of open to giving advice to to any business in New Zealand. To be honest, we're really one of the passions that we we have at the moment is um, I love working with really digitally ambitious Kiwi businesses that are looking to go overseas. So if you are um, you know, if if you are a business that kind of go, how do I crack into the UK or how do I crack into the to Australia or or the US? One of the most amazing things again with digital now is that 
you don't physically need to be in any of these places to actually find out who the audience is, who, you know, advertise to them. As I said earlier, you know, right now I could put an ad, um, uh, pretty, you know, a digital billboard anywhere in the world. I could put one on Times Square if you got enough money. Uh, and I can do that all off my phone sat up in, uh, in my office in Parnell. So the, um, and, you know, you can put Facebook ads. And the difference, obviously, is there's rather more people in uh, the rest of the world than there is in New Zealand. So we often do talk to businesses and say, yeah, oh, well, i got a budget. Of, like, yeah, want to want to crack America and... I've got about ten grand. <laughs> you might need to uh, add a few zeros. Uh, you're, you know, even California has uh, got what is it, like twenty odd million people. Um, so it's uh, it's a big country, and same as you know, UK is nearly seventy five million people. So again, you have to be more targeted. Really think about like who do you want to talk to. What's your point of difference? But that's really exciting. Is when we when we um, we're just working with a, a really cool business called Zeewee. We make uh, dog food and cat food. Um, oh, okay. Uh, and they um, they're sort of pretty already pretty big in the UK and the US, but they're sort of cracking into Europe, which will um, and Japan and North Korea, not North Korea, South. Korea. Oh God, that'd be not good North one. Korea. Uh, so uh, so that that's been fascinating, and that's what we love um, is is a challenge. So, um, yeah, we're up for any conversation, really. But, um, uh, yeah, I hope that was of, uh, of interest to you. I found your, it interesting. Good. So, and I imagine they probably do, too, because they've listened to me for so long. <laughs> All right, cool. Well, thanks All for right. coming on. Thanks, man. Cheers.